and welcome to CIA Files News Edition. Uh, today we're going to be taking a look at the situation with Russia and Ukraine. Of course, I've got Brandon here with me, Mr. Givens. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. I made it back to Kazakhstan. Um, talked to some of my neighbors and um, one of them got like the second to the last flight back and saw some of the, the goings down, flashbangs and tear gas and such. Whoa. Uh, but they, they were able to make it in. And uh, we came in, no no problem. Um, it's It seems to be all back to normal. I mean, we noticed some, some buildings boarded up um, and the... The road in between our home and the airport, there was like an armored personnel carrier in the middle of it, but it wasn't even slowing down traffic, you know, but it's just like, oh, we're, we're here just in case we need to jump in it a little bit later. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, everything's good. Still a little sleep, uh, uh, sleepy, a little jet lagged, but glad to be back home. All right. So yeah, like I said, at the intro, we weren't, we're going to try to break down the Russia Ukraine situation and get a you know just an understanding of what's been going on and uh what could possibly happen. So Brandon, can you give us just a general uh sort of backstory? Oh, okay. Well, um well the original um Russian state was um in what's now Ukraine. And so there's kind of an argument over whether Ukraine is Russian or Ukraine is its own thing. Um, the Russians, at the end of the day, would claim that Ukraine is part of Russia historically, continually. It was never really an independent state and probably should return back. And as far as the language differences goes, oh, well, that's just a dialect. That's, so is that... Um, that sounds similar to China and Taiwan. Uh, yes. Yeah, you could say that. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, the the difference there is um, Ukraine is not the result of like the white Russians um, holding out or anything. The white Russians collapsed. Um, but recently, yes, Ukraine became independent. Gotcha. Um, now... Another part of the kind of the backstory in history is southern Ukraine and Crimea had been part of, um, I guess, what you would call um, Tatar stand. You know, it's like um, there's a minority group called the Crimean Tatars, and that was like all their territory. It was a pretty large and powerful state. Um, there was a lot of animosity between them and um, the Slavs in the north. You know, the people who would become the Ukrainians and Russians. What time period is this? Oh, oh goodness. Let's see. Um, 1400s up to the okay. 1700s. I can't remember the exact. Well, you had the Crimean War when the, the Russians finally got all of Crimea for certain. Turks not coming back ever. No, no, no. Not the Crimean War. The, the Russo-Turkish War. Yeah, it was the Russo-Turkish War, late 1700s. It became part of um, Russia. But um, yeah, there was a, a lot of back and forth over a couple hundred years. And um, the Russians fairly early on, I think, I can't remember if it was Peter or Catherine, um, pushed them out of what's called Novorussia, which was southern Ukraine. And that area 
it was under the thumb of Tartarstan, and you could argue, I mean, I'm not exactly sure the exact population there. I know it did it did have a strong Tatar presence, but it also had a strong Ukraine and Cossack presence. A lot of the um the serfs who ran away from, you know, serfdom in the north, they ended up in Novorussia. And so that's where you have this sort of romanticized horse riding. It was a little bit of the Wild West, but for the Russians, it'd be the Wild South, and for the Crimean Tatars, the Wild North. Uh, well, the Russians end up capturing it and start moving Russian settlers in. So that's one of the reasons that area of southern Ukraine is a mixture of Ukrainian language and Russian and for a long time there, it probably had more Russian than Ukraine. It really just depends on the specific province. You go to Crimea itself, and that historically was not part of Ukraine. It was its own thing. And when the Russians took it, um, finally, you know, they fought the Turks because uh, Crimea, the Crimean cognate or Tatar, yeah, however you'd want to call it, and Crimean cognate is probably the best way. Uh, they were like a sub-state of the Turks and Lyons. Again, some of that can be kind of fuzzy, <laughs> whether they were a part of Turkey or whether they were allies or whether they were um, confederates. Nonetheless, it ends up being part of Russia and is administered by Russia um, until um, Khrushchev becomes um, premier and during the Soviet Union. And he gives... Crimea to uh, Ukraine. It's like, oh, it's the gift, you know, the gift of Crimea. And well, that, part, that, that was very generous of him. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think um, Khrushchev was Ukrainian in descent. And so, and I guess in a sense, the Soviet Union, oh, it's going to last forever. So at that point, well, it didn't really matter, I guess. I mean, it's one of the things Putin brings up. He says, well, it was kind of, kind of silly. It never should have been done. I don't know why it was done. Um, but I imagine it was just to make administration easier. You have one less state and Ukraine and Russia are going to be united and the Soviet Union. So why does it matter? So maybe Khrushchev felt safe giving it back to Ukraine because he was like, we basically control Ukraine already. Well, it was never that- part of Ukraine. Oh, that's thing. it was. Um, yeah, it was its own thing that had been conquered. Um, the people there were the Crimean Tatars and some some German immigrants, and theoretically there were some Goth holdouts. Might have been. It's kind of a fun debate or thing to look into, like the old Goths hanging out in the, um, like the t- listening to Depeche Mode and smoking clothes. <laughs> well, not those, those type of Goths, but yeah, oh. the German Goths, German Goths. You know, some went west, some went east, and so they were listening to. Uh, Back, uh, yeah, Craftwork. All right, so um, sorry, I'll stop. Yeah, so it, it was this area that was under um, Russian administration, and yeah, it was uh, then Russia administratively assigned it to Ukraine. You know, Ukraine. See, in the Soviet Union, each of these republics was semi-independent. You know, like Ukraine kind of had its own president, its own organization. Kazakhstan, the same. Belarus, the same. And um, you could view it as a little bit more of a confederation than a union. But, you know, nobody's going to go against Moscow. 
until they did and all became independent, completely independent. Uh, so instead of having Crimea as another so, um, socialist republic like Georgia, Armenia, or Ukraine, it was transferred to be an oblast or you know, like a state of Ukraine. And, you know, I, you would probably, t- you know, might have to look at a policy expert for the day to know exactly why they did that. But now it's created a lot of, of questions. Now, also, I guess I should say historically, the reasons the Russians wanted that area, southern Ukraine and Crimea, is largely defense. For one, there were Turks constantly invading and doing slave raids, Turks and Tatars. And, you know, th- that gets kind of old. Right. And the other one is uh, they want access to the Black Sea and those ports to make trade, you know, open up more trade routes, get that connection to um, Istanbul. And uh, right. And, and all of those, all of those things are still cited as reasons today, I I believe, right? Like Russia still cites, you know, security concerns in that area. Oh yeah. Or am I? Yeah. Security concerns, defense concerns and economic trades important. Right. So it's, so it's still like even after all this time, it's still basically the same discussion. Yep, the, uh, the history doesn't um, repeat, but it sure does rhyme. Yes, and well, so, uh, Servostopol—they're uh, like big. Um, I'm probably mispronouncing that, but the big um, naval base uh, that the Russians have is in Crimea, and they kept that. I mean, all the way through, it was just you know kind of like Guantanamo Bay for us. And right, um, but yeah, and and also the population there was largely Russian immigrants. So you say they have um, the Tatar minority, and then Ukrainians, like people that identify as Ukrainians. I can't remember exactly, but I think it's about thirty percent. And then, but like the if not the majority, the plurality are Russian speakers, which is again goes with the claim where Russia is like, look, this. this this should be ours. We should never have given it up. That was a historical mistake, and we want it back for our defense reasons and our big military, our big naval bases there. And when they came in, they had their election. Of course, people will say that the election was fraudulent. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if you got a bunch of people around with guns and saying, "Hey, we think you should join our country," and you have an election, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you can say that it's a fair and open election, even if there wasn't any vote ballot stuffing. You know, it's just uh, <laughs> if I disagree with these guys, I'm probably not going to go out and vote. So, right. Um, and Novorussia, so southern Ukraine was um, heavily settled by. Um, Russian speakers. And so it gets a little trickier there because, I mean, it's it's Ukraine and it does have lots of Ukrainians. And the majority there do, do seem to identify as a Ukrainian now, even if Russian is their first language. But that also is all along the Black Sea. And additionally, there is um, the Transnista, which is connected to Moldova, and that area is definitely wants to remain part of Russia. They still consider themselves like the Soviet Union, you know, this little island of Soviet Union wedged between Moldova and Ukraine. And the Russians would love nothing better 
than to have a land corridor. And also something that's often forgotten is Crimea does not have enough water. And the Ukrainians... You mean like fresh water for drinking? Correct. And um, and agriculture. And the Ukrainians have um, cut off the water supply. And so, uh, you know, that harms the Crimean economy because of, you know, the limitations it puts on agriculture. So Russians are like, well, if we take all the land all the way up to at least the beginning of the Crimean Peninsula, then we can start piping water in again. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know about that. So from the Russian perspective, it's economic and righting the wrongs of history and, hey, we want, you know, we think we should have Crimea and we want our water there too. And this is, you know, that's an act of aggression to deny people water. So if you're not going to open the pipes up, we'll go come and take them. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting uh, aspect to this conflict that I wasn't aware of. So, you know, and it, it it does make uh, Ukraine and the West, you know, it sheds a little light on them. It does seem to sort of justify from like a humanitarian and economic perspective, Russia, you know, taking that land back. Um, And of course, then, you know, we have uh, in the modern day, this uh, situation with the natural gas, where Russia is like the biggest supplier of natural gas to Europe. And Ukraine is sitting on you know, lots of natural gas uh, deposits or what have you uh, that they can't, at least from what I understand, they can't afford to develop yet. And so there's this thinking that Russia is sees now as a good time to go in and disrupt the possibility for Ukraine to develop that natural gas uh and therefore protect Russia's, you know, Russia will protect its own uh, interest there. Capitalist market competition by other means. Right. Um, and it's, uh, you, you know, we were talking about this before we started. And, you know, you mentioned how Russia has Germany by the short and curlies right now because it's winter and Germany gets most if not all of their natural gas from russia well i think it's 30 uh, percent of their energy needs um but still you cut 30 percent out yeah 30 i mean that is, is a number of like listeners go and check it you know go and check it but it's it's a significant amount whether it's right. whether it's majority uh, i don't think it's and, majority but it's still a significant amount yeah that that's true 30 percent would be uh huge that would be huge to lose 30 percent of their uh energy supply yeah, and then the um, the snowball on prices going through. Um, yeah, well, um, well, they, that also goes uh, one of Russia's grievances with um, Ukraine is they when they were in the Ukrainian or excuse me the the Russian sphere of influence are solidly there. Uh, Russia's like, okay, well, we've got all this natural gas and we want to pipe it to Europe. We're going to run this pipe through through you there and um, you're going to get discounted um, natural gas prices um, for that. And when Ukraine went and started talking to the EU and NATO, then Russia's like, oh, well, okay, 
you want to play free market? We'll play free market. And I said, well, we're going to start charging you market price or closer to market price. And uh, it didn't work quite as well as the Russians would have hoped. The Ukrainian people um, still pushed to get into the Western sphere of influence, you know, which we end up with the, you know, the, the maiden. Um, I don't know if we would call it the maiden revolt, but you know, where the Ukrainian people took maiden square and were like, no, we want the, the you know, the pro Russian president to go and have new elections. And, and also, well, of course now the Russian plan is, uh, and it has been too, uh, Nord Stream 2, let's go around. Let's go around the Ukraine somewhere else, find another way to get our our gas to uh, Germany. So poor Ukraine. It's again, it's uh, like trade ports. Excuse me. Well, poor Ukraine for, for many other reasons, but I meant to say poor Russia. Like we just have pipes of stuff and we want our pipes to go places <laughs> and we just can't get our pipes there. We right. want to get water to Crimea. We want to get natural gas to Germany. And we got all these people in the way. I mean, it, it's right. something that's full of like, um, well, here in Kazakhstan too, lots of natural resources and, and people are definitely getting incredibly wealthy. Um, but just because you have like a ton of gold underground doesn't mean you've got a ton of gold or, right. you know, you still way. have to get to it. You have to, uh, refine it especially with natural natural gas you've got to have the resources to um to get the natural gas and to process it and then to deliver it so yeah and russia has some severe geographical challenges in that nature like yeah they whatever the periodic table of elements they've got it but it's in the far north of the ural mountains uh, a thousand kilometers away from the nearest city with no roads leading to it or something, you know? Right. So, <laughs> and so, yeah, they're, they're at this kind of point where they're struggling to get their natural gas to market. And well, they're using it as a weapon though. So they're kind of saying, Hey, you know, well, we, if you're not going to play, you know, with the Ukraine, if you're not going to, you know, just be, within our sphere of influence or then, okay, well, you're going to play market prices. We're going to charge you full for gas. And then Ukraine's like, okay, well, we're not going to let your gas go through to Germany. And so they're like, okay, well, we'll just build a pipe around. Right. It's kind of like there will be blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that, and that's somebody the, wants, somebody wants to drink someone's milkshake. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah. And you mentioned Nord Stream too. And that's the, the pipeline that's been built, but it has not been put online yet to move gas uh, from Russia and just like cut Ukraine out completely from that process. Yeah. They would be able to supply uh, Europe directly or Germany directly. And yeah, that's part of their, their big plan. It's still all underwater. So they want to make sure they can um, control the Baltic sea area. Uh, which also that was would make um, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia nervous. Because <laughs> again, the historic uh, issues they've had with Russia. Uh, but uh, the Russians do have their own access to the Baltic Sea. Um, of course, that would not necessarily stop them from wanting more. But right, and then so can we talk for a second about the tension between Russia and NATO and? Uh, what I've heard people talk about 
the potential for Ukraine to join NATO and how Putin would not like that at all. Right. Well, it's that's been a big thorn in uh, Russia's side from the very beginning because um, when when the Soviet Union collapsed, there was a pretty big opportunity to bring Russia into the Western sphere of influence. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, you're going to be all about freedom, democracy, free markets, and capitalism now. And there was a push within the nation for that. And uh, it failed miserably. Uh, Boris Yeltsin, I mean, come on, is like incredibly incompetent alcoholic fellow. Right. And the U.S., we, we didn't really, I mean, I think, I'm sure we threw money at the problem. But it's as if the U.S. thought, well, okay, we won. History's over now. We, we, we won the Cold War. We're all good. And yeah, that's, uh, that sounds like the ghost of John Dulles coming back to like <laughs> laugh and ruin things one more time from the grave. <laughs> and, uh, but then NATO immediately started um, integrating the, the former satellites of the Soviet Union, like the, the old Warsaw Pact, you know, Poland, Czech Republic, um, uh, Slovakia, you know, like, all right, you guys are going to join us now. And Russia immediately saw that as a threat. They were like, come on, you know, or the Soviet Union just collapsed and we could probably use a lot more economic aid and assistance, um, political advice or something. Come on, hold it. You're, you're just moving soldiers closer to us. What, what? And so the Russians have always seen that as a threat and a sign of ill will. Like, come on, we, you know, like I thought we could be, you know, maybe we could be friends now. Oh, well, you're just going to use this to move the guns closer. So we're still enemies. What? And out of all that chaos, you end up with Putin get, getting elected. And, you know, under him, they have a, some level of stability. The economy did improve. Um, the mortality rate, the infant mortality, well, excuse me, not the, uh, oh, I can't remember the word for it, like the average age of death. Um, oh, right. Lifespan? That, lifespan, that's it. Lifespan <laughs> went up. Yeah, because like when the Soviet Union collapsed, lifespan collapsed too. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of gone back up. And so, yeah, there, there you got that guy. But so that's been a very sticky thing with um, – with the Russians where like, Oh, well now you've moved your weapons into Poland and you've moved them into Estonia and Latvia and Lithuania. Now looking back, whether or not that was the best decision, I don't, I, I don't know. Cause we, we don't know what would have happened. Um, but if the North Atlantic treaty organization is really supposed to be about protecting yourself from foreign invasion, it does kind of then start penciling in that Russia is assumed to be a threat which probably might not have been the most diplomatic way to start the conversation. Oh, so you're not the Soviet Union now. Oh, well, we're still going to keep our gun pointed, uh, which, you know, may have been the right thing. That response sounds pretty, you know, consistent for U.S. attitude towards Russia in general, you know, uh, like ever since the uh, the czar was overthrown. I It almost makes me think that the U.S. government would only be satisfied if they reinstated the monarchy. 
in <laughs> Russia. You know, like, finally, some people we can talk to. <laughs> the Roman elves <laughs> rubbing their hands together. Yes. Yeah. Well, it might make for some. I think the the British monarchy needs some some competition in the press. That, that could that could help. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I think the Saudi monarchy could give them some competition if they didn't. I think the Saudis are much better at the, managing their media image than the British are, although they use some questionable tactics to do that. Yeah, they, they, their work with journalists is very well known. Yeah. Hey, why don't you come over here? Let's talk to you in this room. Oh. Oh, okay I'll, what do you guys got in here hey is that a chainsaw oh yeah uh, anyway sorry go ahead all right well like going all that theme uh russia's always felt like they've gotten kind of a bad hand uh with the with the west and that the west has not always acted in good faith and they have kind of a point i think uh the example being um kosovo uh, specifically, and perhaps Bosnia, Herzegovina in general, but really more Kosovo, is um, Serbia is um, really good at at playing the we want to be friends with everybody, don't mess with us. And so if Russia gives them a hard time, they they lean west. If the west gives them a hard time, they lean toward Russia. And they've, they've done a pretty good job with that. And then when it came to um, the conflict in Bosnia, Herzegovina, and in Kosovo, uh, the Serbs and the Russians were very sympathetic to each other, you know, just like World War I time. And the, the Russians' big thing was that Serbia's territorial integrity would be respected. And it especially was not respected with Kosovo. And the West just kind of recognized Kosovo as an independent country. And so that was kind of a slap in the face to both Serbia and Russia and seen as not acting in good faith um, to find a diplomatic solution that was respectful of Serbian territorial integrity. And then a few years later in Georgia, there's an area called Ossetia, and the northern part is in Russia and the southern part is in Georgia. And the southern part, they're like, we really want to be part of Russia. So we're going to declare our independence. And um, Georgia's like, no, you can't do that. You can't be independent. You're, you know, your territorial integrity, you know, it's, you're part of, you know, Georgia. And the Russians invaded and took it and put big fence, adding a little bit of Georgia inside of their fence too. And the U.S., ah, well, we, we didn't really do that much about it, you know, Actually, I don't know what response we did at all. Maybe some sanctions. Uh, but I, I theorized that was tit for tat about Kosovo. It's like, oh, you're going to recognize Kosovo? Okay, well, we're going to recognize Ossetia as independence and annex them. Um, and it was also a statement to Georgia. You know, oh, well, you know, you, you left our sphere of influence and went to NATO. Okay, all right. Watch NATO protect you. Watch NATO protect you. And, I mean, for all intents and purposes, uh, NATO didn't. Now, having said that, I think Georgia's economically doing pretty well right now, um, and their people can visit um, the European Union. I'm pretty sure visa-free. And it's, I think, kind of a similar thing for um, Ukraine, and that's the, the, what I expect is 
they're going to pull what they did in Georgia. The Russians are going to pull what they did in Georgia. Like, oh, well, you think NATO is going to protect you. You're leading toward NATO. You're leading toward the West. All right. Let's see how that works out for you. And, you know, so that leads us to what, like the U- European Union support for Ukraine. I mean, I, uh, I think they're on the roadmap to, to be accepted into the European Union. Uh, but that's, that's, you know, way on down the road. They have to, there's a lot of work to be done with their economy and the borders have to be secure. Uh, and so Russia can constantly just make sure that doesn't happen. You know, oh, especially when well, it comes that, to border, you know, thus the, uh, or another incentive for Russia to keep stirring the pot. As far as NATO support, NATO split on it. So if, if, um, Russia does invade Ukraine, NATO's not under an obligation to all act in unison. It's supposed to be, the idea is an attack on one is an attack on many, but Ukraine's not a member. And even if we have soldiers there, members of NATO could say, no, this isn't our fight. Ah, so it's like the, uh, in the Lord of the Rings, when the, was it the elves of Gondor? were called to ask uh, or were called to go fight oh god i can't remember it's the lord <laughs> of the rings it's like the lord of the rings right it's it's like <laughs> something's not everything's like the lord of the rings so it was, it was a, it's exactly it's exactly like lord <laughs> of the rings that's oh that was pretty good if we had just said that at the beginning yeah. we could have avoided all of this this whole episode it's like, <laughs> Saved, saved a whole lot of time. Yeah, just watch Lord of the Rings. And I don't know, Frodo is, uh, uh, should we say Frodo is Ukraine? And <laughs> Gandalf is Germany, maybe. Um, I'm just saying the names of countries and just, characters as I remember them. So, you know, you can do your own mix and match. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I, I guess I got bored and had to derail the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, th- I think about that show Firefly a lot. Oh, anyway, um, yeah, me too. As far Rest as, as far as like, yeah, what I've read so far is Germany is trying to lean toward non-war, and Spain has been sending um, troops in that general direction or naval vessels or something. Right. So the response is mixed within NATO. Um, so if they Again, my my prediction is eighty um, percent likelihood that that Russia is going to invade. I don't think they're necessarily going to try to take everything. I think they're going to at least take the Donbas region, like the breakaway republics, and then draw their line. Um, but probably push to take Novorussia, and then I would think they would stop. And that way, it also helps avoid potentially triggering uh, any NATO articles or, you know, hyper aggression. It's like, oh, look, we're just getting what, you know, we have a historical justification for. And they wouldn't necessarily be lying in that case. Right. Um, They could make that case. uh, And that's just a matter of if everybody else goes along with it, I guess. Well, It's also the uh, fait accompli, you know, it's like Crimea itself. They went in and took it. And they're like, no, that's not part of Russia. And it's like, well, 
we got Russian laws in place and people here are getting Russian passport. No, oh, but look at Google Maps. It's not exactly Russia or something. We got it in. It's like, no, it's, it's, it's by fact, maybe not by law, but by fact. Right. And after a while, the fact becomes the law, you know? And so they'd do the same thing. They would just take whatever land in Ukraine they wanted and say, okay, here's the new border. And I said, no, that's really part of Ukraine. And says, okay, well, if they want Ukrainian passports and go, they can do that. But if they're living here, they're going to need a Russian passport. And after a while, it just becomes the reality. Right. That this, this is it. It's that old quote from uh, Mike Watt from the Minutemen of uh, politics is guns. I mean, <laughs> that's the. Well, we got possession as nine tenths of the law. It's <laughs> you know? yeah. like, and I possess that written. And I possess nine tenths of the guns. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, so we also have uh, Secretary of State uh, Anthony Blinken and the Russian uh, Chief Security Secretary, I believe that's his title, Lavrov, uh, mm-hmm. met just uh, this week to, you know, discuss things. And uh, Blinken came in with a lot of uh, tough talk, you know. Uh, well, we blinked. <laughs> Use a pine. <laughs> we blinked. I know, and it's. I mean, not to get into U.S. politics too much, but that's pretty par for the course for for the Democrats, uh, and uh, you know, lots of tough talk. And but you know well they, the russians knew they had us at when we said um horrible consequences or extreme consequences um the vagaries the vagary of that they're like, right. oh, okay so we we will not be going to war okay all right we're good yeah. you know like oh you're going to sanction us oh no we have to develop our own economy even more what right. oh no we can't import fish from overseas oh goodness we have to support our own fish farms no <laughs> you know, and- like and I, you know what gets what? me? Oh, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna uh, sanction our banks. Oh, we're just gonna have to send things to cryptocurrency now. Oh no. Yeah, and you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong because I am not an expert on this at all. But to me, it seems like the U.S. government. So they throw sanctions around all the time, and they, you know, sanctions are generally presented as, uh, you know, they're non-military actions and they're presented sort of as non-violent actions but in a lot of cases uh the end result of sanctions for a lot of countries is you know at the end of the day violence because it's the people who get hurt the most by sanctions typically if it's against a nation as opposed to an individual or a private group but when it's against a nation the people who suffer are like the regular people on the street who are just trying to go about their daily business and don't really get a say in politics. Um, and with the idea being that, Oh, we'll make the population unhappy with their government because they'll blame their government for these sanctions and they won't blame the U S uh, <laughs> good luck with that thought. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I, I mean, again, like I said, I'm not an expert, but just in general, that's that seems a little uh, short-sighted. I guess I don't know. And these stupid anarchists just want to get rid of borders. If we didn't have borders, where would we get our drama? 
<laughs> well, borders, I mean, without borders, then uh, we say like every, every, like a nationality has a right to exist or a culture has a right to exist. And if you get rid of the idea of borders, then you get rid of that idea too. And so it, it becomes kind of complicated. Right. Um, I'm not, I'm not arguing for open board, like completely like no borders. The only reason I'm not arguing for that is because I'm not, I don't think I'm smart enough to make that argument one way or the other. Um, but it would obviously be like a massive upheaval of, you know, how things are currently, which some people think would be good. And probably a lot of people think would be bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, people like the the revolution until they can't get their insulin. So you're saying you're, you're predicting, and you've been pretty consistent with this, that Russia is going to invade soon, but then we've got the UN chief says they believe that it's not going to happen, that Russia's not going to invade. Um, uh, I, I guess we'll we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've given myself. I say it's an eighty percent likelihood. <laughs> so I've given myself that twenty percent back out. But I, I think right. I think this is the time for them to do it if they're going to do it, because uh, the U.S. is very distracted. We we just got out of Afghanistan. Um, we've already blinked, and it's like. Uh, well, there'll be serious consequences, and they've already done this before. So twice, at least, that I can think of, <laughs> they've done this. So why would they not do it again? As far as the U.S. response, we have assisted Ukraine increase their military presence um, so we are helping them in that way, but that doesn't necessarily equal, you know, a full U.S. like troops on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it might also start with advisors. And um, oh yeah, oh what else? Um, I can't remember his name. Blackwater guy. That oh yeah, Eric Stone Prince. Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric Prince. Eric Prince will get a little money out of it. Um, I bet he Man. will get a little money no matter how it happens. <laughs> yeah, no matter how it goes, yeah. I'm sure he has, uh, you know, like he has a preference <laughs> how he wants it to go. But yeah, that dude, that whole family, they, they get paid no matter what happens. And, <laughs> and at this point, it just seems like he's just like a money magnet that goes different places to kill insurgents for a price <laughs> well i guess which is uh you know maybe maybe it's not completely immoral as long as you don't create the sur- insurgents to go kill for a price <laughs> that, that's when that's when it's it's like beyond shady of course i'm sure any you know private military in a sense is inherently shady but. right and also who are the insurgents that they would be killing <laughs> like yeah. Are they sheep farmers who just want, you know, to be able to vote or are they religious extremists, you know? Well, we all know that anyone that is against law and order, law and order is a threat. Those are the the very common like themes you'll see every, every single leader of every country, democratic, authoritarian, it doesn't matter. They will always throw out law and order. We need that with a lot of uh, echo on it. Law and order. Yeah. 
what was the other one? And just make sure if you really want to be in the war, make sure you get some of your own people killed. And then anyone who's against it is a traitor. Right. So, yeah, we got to, you know, so if, if the U.S. wanted to, to get involved, um, they could. And I'm not saying the U.S. will not get involved um, directly and militarily. I don't think all of NATO will. And I don't think the U.S. is um, – if we do get into it militarily, we're going to throw everything we have at it. It's not going to be World War Three, Right. It's bad it's, timing for the U.S. on that. And you're like, yeah. can you guys put this off for a little while? Um, <laughs> right. It'll, that line, that line that's in the Donbass region now or that's breaking, you know, separating um, insurgent Ukraine from Ukraine, it's just going to be moved a whole lot. Right. And unless they unless they do take the whole the whole thing, they take the whole country. But I find that I would think that would be a policy faux pas on the Russian side, because if they do that, then they might then the NATO or the West may say, uh, no, this is too much. You don't have any justification for this. And okay, so now you might actually go after Lithuania next or something. So no, 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 no. But if they they only take what they believe they have a claim to and then stop, it also prevents Ukraine from forming a government in exile or something like that. And you know, that that could create lots of diplomatic headaches. Right. Because if as long as as long as Ukraine exists they could eventually sign a peace agreement and normalize um, relations. But if it goes into this government in exile thing, that could be delayed a long time. Right. Now, from what I, uh, again, from what I understand, Russia keeps saying that it's not going to invade the troop buildup there. Um, I believe it's for military exercises um, or perhaps, you know, at least from there, from, you know, like their claim that's because of U S troop build up there. Um, I mean, I know what I'm talking about that with that, but basically, so, Oh, I'm just going to say from what I understand, uh, Russia keeps saying that it's not going to invade and that all of this is uh, an effort to make Russia look bad. Uh, And so, my you know like so i'm wondering if russia does invade after saying they weren't going to what would be their justification what would their reason be for that oh well, did they ever need one oh well, one uh well i imagine a, a false flag right uh, and that's I mean, something that i've heard you know u.s officials mention as a possibility of course you know we have to understand that u.s officials are going to say lots of things to you know to build up their narrative so you don't know if it's if they can be fully trusted with you know warnings of a false flag but it also seems very you know liable yeah i mean i i I hate false flags uh, because that does create all that doubt and lack of trust, but it's almost to the point, like you don't really need it. You just, just, they, they could just go ahead and invade and just say, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we just decided to, but um, yeah, I mean, it seems to be a tradition. You have to have a, a lamb sacrificed before the God of war, before you can go to war. 
And so we have to have some innocent people killed so we can justify the invasion. Uh, so, yeah, I think that brings us up to date uh, at the moment. It seems like it's just a waiting game and we'll, you know, we've got some talks going on um, between some leaders here and there. Yeah. I mean, if, if they are waiting for winter, um, for maximum impact, then it should be within a month or two. But um, I don't know necessarily that they'll wait, that they'll not wait past winter. I mean, yeah, I mean, gas is more useful and needed in, in, in the winter, but yeah, yeah, there's always next winter. And the U.S. is still going to have the, the same sort of leadership and economic problems. And gas still costs money in the summer. Yeah. Um. I, you know, like I said, we'll wait and see. All right. Well, um, that's uh, that wraps it up for this. Um, again, be sure to check out our website, ciafiles.net. Uh, the socials, you got the facebook.com slash ciafiles. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ciafilespodcast. And uh, yeah. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. Over and out. <laughs>